0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. We'll go ahead and get started. I'm sure our numbers will increase as people arrive with their Sunday lunches. Um, so if you'll turn with me in uh, your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 4. And today, we'll actually be bringing our uh, semester-long study of the pastoral epistles to a close as we finish out um, chapter 4. So let me just remind you, last week uh, we uh, did the end part of chapter 3 and, and Paul's charge to Timothy in the beginning part of chapter 4, roughly verses 1 through 5. And um, just to remind you, um, chapter 3, again, was this comparison or contrast between those who oppose the truth with those who follow the word of God. True believers should be prepared to endure persecution, grounded in instruction of the God-breathed Scriptures, which is the means of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this connection between Chapter Three and Chapter Four, between establishing the value of the Scriptures and Paul's charge to Timothy. And as we noted, um, you know the the Scriptures are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And when Paul gives this final charge to Timothy, he commands him to do those things, to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So as Paul started chapter 4 with this solemn charge, replete with nine imperative commands, um, there's this flowing out or grounding of the things that the pastor does in a proper understanding of the scriptures. The scriptures serve as the foundation of the pastoral ministry, giving pastors like Timothy a firm basis, enabling him to preach, to be ready, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort, to be sober-minded, to endure suffering, to evangelize, and to fulfill your ministry. In this charge, to Timothy, uh, we saw last week Paul included warning about his audience's unwillingness to listen to the truth and the existence of people willing to lead them astray. Um, As we talked about, the the Word of God exposes us for who we are. It shows us our sins. And faithful ministry of the gospel message involves rebuke and correction. But there are plenty of other teachers who, out of selfish motives, uh, are willing to confirm people in their self-deception and tell people what they want to hear instead of presenting the gospel that they need to hear. And we also saw last week, and this will important as we consider this last part. Um, We saw how this final charge to Timothy was solemnized by the witnessing presence of God and Christ with special reference to Christ's return, kingdom, and judgeship. Um, Thus, Timothy is encouraged to perform his task by the fact that Christ will appear to judge and reward, and this is something that Paul um, picks up again in talking about his own ministry in verses 6 through 8. So today, we'll shift to the final section of the letter, which turns uh, the focus from um, from Timothy uh, more to Paul and his circumstances and th- this kind of final set of instructions that grows out of Paul's uh, ministerial needs as he completes the final stage of his life. Um, what might seem like prosaic instructions, uh, you know, tell this person to come, bring my jacket, (laughs) bring my books, um, actually reveals, um, I'm going to argue, reveals something about um, the needs of the pastoral ministry, and particularly what Paul needs um, as he completes his apostolic ministry. So uh, I'll read the entirety of chapter four for us, but again, we'll, we'll really be picking up from verses six to the end of the chapter. So hear now the word of God from 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message." At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be proclaimed, be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Anisphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask him to instruct us uh, by it, by his spirit, uh, working in and through us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, for who you are, the great triune God, who exists in perfect love and relationship uh, within yourself, but who, um, out of your goodness, chose to uh, manifest your love to us, to create us, um, and to covenant with us, even uh, when we've fallen into sin, and to covenant uh, with us to the extent that you fulfill our terms of the covenant by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to uh, take on flesh and to live a perfect life of righteousness that we could not uh, live ourselves and uh, to take uh, our punishment upon himself and to bear the curse upon the cross as he died. But even as he rose to new life, so we rise to new life in him, and we anxiously await his appearing. Uh, We await being crowned with the crown of righteousness that he has won for us as we seek uh, and uh, and endure and wait and proclaim as we expect his coming again. Lord, as we uh, consider these final words of Paul, and maybe the final words on this earth that Paul spoke to his uh, fellow servant, Timothy, may your spirit teach us. May you uh, speak to us uh, through these words, uh, through these thoughts, that you would communicate your thoughts to us and show us uh, what it is um, to be part of this great church, uh, this community of faith, and how we can serve uh, and to promote your gospel ministry uh, among us uh, in this place, in Redeemer, and in Massachusetts, and in New England, United States, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, teach us now, we pray. Uh, may it not just be uh, us seeking to fill our minds, but may you instruct our hearts and our wills, both to know, but also to do the things that are pleasing to you. And we ask this in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit, amen. All right, so um, with verse 6, a change takes place uh, in the chapter. Um, uh, The first five verses of chapter 4 is the subject is this implied you, you know, with all these imperatives, you know, know, this list of things that Paul uh, wants Timothy to do to, if we could kind of summer it up, summarize them in that final one, fulfill your ministry. Um, So the emphasis in the first five verses has been on you. The emphasis from here forward is more on Paul himself. I is the dominant um, verb, or I is the dominant subject of the verb um, going forward. So a- as we start off with verses six through eight, what does Paul reveal about his own life in, in ministry? Um, and ministry, and particularly as we sort of think of it as connected to this final charge to Timothy? So he's, Timothy, I want you to do this, and then he turns and, and says what Paul himself has been been doing. So as Paul reflects on his ministry, um, yeah, you know, what's he trying to emphasize to, to Timothy? Is he just being self laudatory? You know, <laughs> I've had a great ministry, <laughs> you know, lifting himself up, or is there something else he's trying to get across to Timothy as he kind of passes the torch here? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, and I love how you, um, the connection between his present circumstances, like, present circumstances, this is it, (laughs) Um, um, but there's also the past, like, this is what I've done, um, this is where I am now, and then this hope for the the future. So, yeah, there's a great way that, that these three verses are connecting Paul's present circumstances you know, the the near likelihood of his death. Now, clearly it's not so close that, you know, because he's like, come soon. So, you know, it's not like it's happening tomorrow. But it, it seems like he's pretty confident that um, this time, you know, something's different about this one. This is a final departure. Um, I, I wish I had known about uh, this verse or studied this verse um, well a long time ago, but um, the word departure there is actually, and, and this is, again, purely my selfish uh, interest, uh, is, is a ship term, <laughs> I didn't know it <laughs> until, you know, it's, the, it's, it's literally uh, used of like a ship casting off its rope to leave the shore, so departure is like, you know, he's, it, he's not there yet at the end, but he is set off on his final voyage. Yeah, and it, it's a really interesting choice of it's really Yeah, the, the drink offering there, you know, is you know it's the sacrificial language, you know. The, uh, if you 're interested we 're not going to get into this, but if you go to numbers chapter fifteen, that spells out what a drink offering is um, but but yeah there it's it's it 's sacrificial process that's started um, and it's yeah it 's the way that it you know it 's not a one time like the the blow, but he knows that the process has started that 's going to come bring him to his end, yeah bill. Yeah, that, right, it's not self-laudatory. It's the, you know, as he expects this crown of righteousness, it's not a crown that's going to be awarded to, you know, simply to Paul for all the great things that Paul's done. But this is what everyone who anxiously, you know, awaits, who loves his appearing um, are going to receive. And again, you know, the bookend um, or, you know, The kind of chiasm that's presented. You know, he starts off in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. And notice in verse 8, henceforth there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, you know, this, this theme of judgment and appearing of Christ is part of Paul's um, hope for himself. But as it's made clear in the charge to Timothy, and, and, the, and again, verse 8, as Bill pointed out, you know, it's the hope for all Christians um, that Christ is coming to, to, he will have this glorious appearance that will establish righteous judgment on the earth. And that's what Paul, you know, despite his current circumstances, despite his past history of of enduring suffering for the gospel, his hope is in this um, coming of the righteous king to establish judgment on the earth. Here, Ronnie. Yeah, these, these two analogies and then the explanation, really. like, And I like, you're exactly right. It's like this brief summary. I fought the good fight. So this analogy of, you know, it's a struggle. It's a fight. It's, it's something that has to be endured. It's not, you know, um, I always think of, uh, I can't remember if it was Moses Hogue or his son, Moses Drury Hogue, this Virginia Presbyterian pastor. But he was listening to this young minister complain about his pastorate, and uh, Moses Hogue, whichever one, older or younger, uh, said to him, "Son, God did not ordain you to a life of ease. <laughs> you know that's you know it's you're not called to a ministry of luxury. <laughs> you know you're called to uh, a struggle to be participated in, and it's a you know a fight or you know to finish a race." Um, you know, I, I tried to run track in high school, um, largely because that was about the only sport uh, that I could do without, you know, being the weakest link on the team. <laughs> um, and there were when I was a freshman, I was terrible. And there were lots of races. Um, I started, I didn't finish, <laughs> um, because in the middle of the race, you know, I would get cramps or you know, I, it was distance running, so. You know, so I'm trying to run fast for a long, as fast as I can. Uh, the longer the distance, the better I am. So my lack of native, natural speed is, is equalized over longer distance. <laughs> I can run a five minute mile, which if I'm running a mile doesn't do me much good. But if I'm running two miles, that puts me a little more in the hunt, um, but I had to learn how to finish. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until my sophomore year that I started finishing races. But, you know, because it's hard. You know, it's hard to maintain that kind of pace for that kind of distance. And so he, he has the, you know, example, this, this metaphor um, that, you know, um, you know, fighting a good fight, So like kind of military, like things can, it's a struggle, it's a battle, it's, you got to endure. It's a race, you got to get to the finish. Um, but he's using these to express this, this third of, of the, you know, these are all in parallel construction, you know, to the third of the parallel is I've kept the faith, you know, that he has not departed, you know, he has not given up the faith, he's not um, compromised it, but he has steadfastly continued to, uh, to endure, um, even though it has been a struggle, even though it hasn't been easy the whole time. But that is what how he characterizes what his life has been like. Yeah, Mike and then Bill. Yeah, and that these are things that Timothy can do. I mean, I think sometimes we fall into the trap of like. Oh, the apostles, and then like you know, create this kind of tier system, and that's not the way Paul treats himself. He's like you know, the things that I'm able to do in my ministry, you're able to do. You know, you know, fight the good fight, keep the struggle, run the race. Like you know, you can do it because the crown has already been won for you. You know, if we go to Philippians three, he sort of talks about like you know, we're pressing forward for the upward call. That Christ has already won, so like he, he's you know established the you know the victory laurel and wreath is there and it's won, um, but we've got to keep in the race. We've got to finish the race. But the the laurel is there, waiting for us, um, and it's there for all of us. It's again not there for you know the super Christians, the apostles. No, it's there for everyone who loves. The appearing of Jesus Christ. Bill. Yeah, that and again, that it you know, if we think back of if you, um, the you know, I've been trying to like summarize the the book in words, and the summary I had for chapter two was endure. Like that's been you know, do not be ashamed was the the summary of chapter one. Um, endure is the summary command of of chapter two, and as he's wrapping all these things together, you know, they're all. You know, in this final charge, it's succinctly. You know, don't be ashamed, because um, we'll see as the book ends. There are lots of people who, out of fear or shame, have deserted Paul. Don't be like one of them. <laughs> um, you know that keep and you know keep your eyes on on what you're about. You know, keep your eyes on Christ Jesus. You're doing this for the sake of His gospel ministry, not for your own comfort and ease. And that's going to and. Involve pain; it's going to involve suffering, but endure, um, and, and endure because the prize is worth the suffering. And again, um, you know, the people who are athletes always talk about like it, it was worth the pain in order to, to to you know accomplish the goal. And if that's true for something prosaic like sports, how much greater is it true for things uh, spiritual things? Yeah, David. Yeah, and, and the the <laughs> yeah, and the emphasis uh, again. It's one of these things. Um, word order, proper word or order in English, um, sometimes limits us. Um, you know, in in English, it, it seems like he's putting emphasis on himself. I have kept. You know, um, I have finished. I, I have fought. Um, but it's actually the opposite. Um, first is the good fight I have fought, the race I've finished, the faith I've kept. Like he's putting the emphasis on the race, the fight, and the faith. That you know that these are the things that are worth it. You know these are the things. You know the reasons I'm acting. You know this way is because these things are worth fighting and finishing and keeping you know the emphasis is on the the goal is something valuable and worth the struggle yeah jay Um, Yeah, uh, somebody um, said it this way. God has promised the wreath to the faithful, and Christ has earned the wreath for the faithful. So it's like the promise is there. You run the race, you win the prize, and Christ has run the race for us. So we, we, you know, again, if we um, are in him, then we've won the prize. Um, Yeah, Teresa. Teresa. Well, there he's using the analogy that, like, and again, it's an athletic analogy. So, like, if you run the race, um, I can't cut across the middle of the track and head straight to the finish line. Like, you know, I can't take a shortcut. I've got to follow the rules or it's not a race. And so, there he's using, in, in chapter two, he's using the athletic analogy for a slightly different thing. There he's emphasizing, like, look, you know, in a gospel ministry, there are no shortcuts, like you got to follow the the rules <laughs> like and the rules you know in one way to think about what are the rules for the gospel minister? Well, preach the word, be ready end in season, reprove, rebuke, like you can't take shortcuts, you can't not do the things you're supposed to do um, you know back when we say chapter two, I talked about this uh there's in the triathlon world, there's been this kind of scandal about this woman. Who's uh, you know who won a, a major qualifying for the Ironman, um, and they think she cheated, <laughs> um, you know, and so even though she won the race, she didn't win the race because she didn't follow the rules. So there, the emphasis on the rules again—it's a metaphor he's using. Like if you're an athlete and you don't follow the rules, you don't win the prize. Um, so so in this case, you know, if you're a Christian and um, you, you there are no shortcuts. I, I, you know, I think is the main point of that. You can't cheat. <laughs> um, you can't compromise. Like you gotta stay in the race. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, move. So he gives himself as this personal example. Um, but it's not just you know as y'all um, so helpfully uh, um, brought out. You know, it's it's not just Paul. The emphasis is on Paul. The the emphasis is on the prize, and the hope for us is this prize is for us too. It's not just for super Christians. It's the prize is for all Christians, not only to me, but also to all who've loved Christ appearing. Um, so he turns from there to um, this penultimate section, um, which the ESV labels. Personal instructions. Um, But uh, I think, um, yeah, that label might be a little misleading. Because even though they are personal instructions, I think they're instructions for us. So as Paul writes to Timothy to sort of tell him some of his own needs, I think we can get um, a sense of, of what he needs for ministry. So if you look at this list of personal instructions, what does the apostle need in order to continue his ministry even though he's in prison in chains so what what does he need yeah he needs help he needs people you know he, he needs helpers you know uh get mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry so it's he needs um people there to help him, so again uh, he's not setting up you know i'm the super uh Christian, and I can do it all myself. no, he needs helpers in this ministry um he used the same phrase in his letter to uh uh to um Philemon about Anisibus. um he formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and me, you know that he needs helpers in the ministry. He's not in it a- alone. He needs supportive people. What else? Yeah. As you get older, your memory begins to fade. So he also wants to extend parties to refresh his memory. Yeah, and not just to refresh his, his, his ministry. So um Scott had asked this question last week, and now he's not here to get the answer. Um, But uh, you know, it happens. Um, So he had asked the the kind of question, like, why distinguish between books and parchments? Um, So I did, as promised, I actually did my homework. (laughs) Um, So the the first word for book is biblion. Does that sound familiar? So, Biblion, it can refer to just any kind of writing. So, I mean, it's kind of a generic word, but in the scriptures, it's it's often used of the writings of the Old Testament. So, it it can mean, you know, just books in general, but it it also can have this more specific connotation of, um, you know, um, role of a book or or collection of, you know, of of, um, either a Papyrus scroll or a bound set of, of parchment. So again, there are two forms of paper in the the ancient world. There's papyrus made out of the papyrus reed, um, you know, kind of so plant based. That is really good um, for legibility and and the writing on those papyri lasts. Um, the bad thing is the papyri tend to become crumbly and brittle over time. Um, so that's why most of of papyri we have now exist in some kind of fragmentary form. The other kind of of, um, of paper is is parchment, and parchment is animal skins that have been scraped really thin and clean. And those are great; they endure really long times, but um, the text on them um, has a tendency to fade. <laughs> um, a lot of the ancient Greek um, authors that we have text of now were actually found beneath other text. So they would literally take a book where the writing had faded and just write something else. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, it's it's you know, uh, it's now a clean. You know, they might scrape what residuals left clean and just reuse the same parchment. Um, so so book is the you know referring to you know, some kind of finished product. And parchment is something that uh, it's literally a book in process. So, you know, leaves of a book. Um, So some people have kind of, you know, is he, are these two categories of two different things that Paul's collected that he needs? Or is it, you know, books, especially the parchments? So like, you know, like if I was telling you, Um, You know, I I need my books, especially the second and third shelf on the Revolutionary War. (laughs) Like, you know, or do I need, you know, my books and especially my Revolutionary text, you know, are those two different things or is it a subset? So that's where most of the kind of debate over it. But the point is what Bill is trying to, he needs, you know, as a gospel ministry, he needs the scriptures. You know, he needs... The books he needs the parchments in order to do to be a minister of the word he has to have access to the word. also I'm um, I'm struck by that explanation because I thought about as well. And parchment was more expensive. No, actually it's it was the opposite. Yeah, parchment was developed because papyrus was getting too expensive. There was such demand for papyrus it raised the price. So skins were. Um, Skins were cheaper cuz they were they're more difficult to work with. So I guess my my thought on this, and it could be completely wrong, is that you know you talk about the books you explain that, you know, could be more the Old Testament, which has been long codified than anything Could the parts not those be the stuff that's been written more recently? Um maybe it's the immediate recollections of others? Yeah, it could be. I mean uh, Parchments has again; it has this kind of connotation of an incomplete book, so so it does have the sense of recent in that. Like book is something that's you know bound and finished, and it'd be the way that like I use the term like I've got a book and I've got a manuscript, you know. So like the you know they're the same. The manuscript is you know it's going to be a book, but right now it's a book in process. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the the yeah, and where the debate lies, um, there's actually a uh, an article. <laughs> Again, I, I did my homework. Uh, there's an article um, that I, our academic article that or essay that I read, called "Especially the Parchments." and And he was arguing that it it this kind of you know, category, subcategory. So, you know, his his books, especially, you know, the, ses- segment, the parchments. Um, and it may be, you know, uh, it could be Old Testament, New Testament, you know, but that's kind of speculative. Um, because, we, again, if you look at new copies of New Testaments, we've got, um, I had a Greek professor who made me memorize, or tried to make me memorize all this stuff. Um, it, it might have been the lowest grade I got in seminary. Um, you know, if you look at a, uh, a edited Greek New Testament, it will give you footnotes to all you know where this you know text survives in these documents. So P forty six, papyrus forty six, or the Codex Sinaiticus. So the Codex Sinaiticus is a parchment bound copy. Of of the New Testament, or um, what survives of it, um, you know, P forty six is a fragment of a collection of papyrus fragments. So we know the New Testament was being written both on papyrus and parchment. So it, it's not it's not an easy um, you know uh, obvious you know what he's referring to. But I I think the main point is what you know if we take you know the big kind of takeaways. You know, he needs people. You know, he needs helpers in the ministry. So, you know, people have deserted him in this imprisonment. And he needs uh, helpers um, in in presenting the gospel. He needs his books and parchments. Like, um, his imprisonment happened so rapidly, his arrest took place so rapidly, that he didn't get to bring along the tools of his ministry, Um, you you know, the biblion and the parchments what else does he need? so he needs people he needs books i was going to it's nice a bit absent minded as well again the in the cloak um, so um, it, it's not just yeah not just absent minded maybe um, most people um, talk about um, perhaps the speed of the arrest um, you know that he wasn't expecting to you know this imprisonment um and and we'll get into some of the people mentioned um well we'll try to in just a second um but he needs stuff like you know and again the cloak is the it's a the heavy outer garment that someone would wear in winter so you know Yeah so <laughs> so either <laughs> yeah wasn't planning on being in uh you know Northern Italy <laughs> in the middle of winter—that wasn't on his travel plans. So you know, plans change. So I was arrested with my you know, like, yeah, uh, arrested in Hawaii and <laughs> imprisoned in, 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 in Maine. Like, I didn't pack for this trip. Um, and so you know, it's it's he needs, but he needs physical stuff. Like you know, again, he's not a super Christian. Like he he needs. He's about to endure winter. Um, in a climate he's not prepared for, or other people have, have speculated, is it a reflection of the conditions? Uh, again, the conditions he's in in this imprisonment seem worse than than um, other times we see Paul imprisoned. Like this one, it, you know, he's you know, as we've talked about, he's in chains. Um, there is no hope for you know, um, getting out of this one. Um, you know, he he might be in more Spartan physical conditions here. Um, But he needs stuff. (laughs) Um, He needs, um, he he doesn't just need the spiritual support that comes through the books and writings, but he needs physical support, material things, Um, which again, I'm trying to use these personal instructions as sort of like what a gospel minister needs and as we, you know, moving toward to um, voting on you know, a future pastor, you know, to think that we need to make sure that our pastors are provided with the things they need. Like, they're not, well, we hired somebody. I'm out of here. <laughs> like, he, he's going to do it all. No, <laughs> he needs helpers in that ministry. He needs people to come along in a system. Um, he's going to need time to study the word and access to the word, you know, to go to conferences and things. He's going to need physical to support, make sure that, you know, we take care of the needs of he and his family, um, there's one other support that I I listed. There might be others, um, but what else does he need? Yeah, that again, that you know. Notice a, a lot of this 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 book, not just this chapter, but you know, if you think back to chapter one, you're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, um, and then here you know uh at my first defense no one came to stand by me but all deserted me so yeah he he feels isolated um you know he needs helpers but you know there's there's also you know he's he's been a little bit deserted um you know as we think about this particular imprisonment yeah Yeah, and there's a, there's a verbal connection between verse 8 and 9, like, you know, um, this contrast, you know, uh, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will pour, award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, and then, then the very next, uh, or verse 10, not the very next verse, but in verse 10, for Demas, in love with this present world. So, uh, you know, to go back to Jay's kind of in or out category, you know, there are those who are, you know, in love and focused on Christ. You know, they've got their eyes on the prize. And then there are other people who are falling away, you know, because they're in love with this present world, like the things of it. Like they're distracted by, you know, other things. Um, They might be, uh, you know, distracted by, you know, they're counting Keeping holding on to their own life uh, more valuable than risking their life to support Paul. You know, I think there's some of that involved in this desertion. That out of fear of identification with Paul, you know, as they see him arrested and dragged into prison, they're like, you know, they're taking a step back because they don't want to put themselves. You know, they're you know more in love with their their own keeping their own lives than they are with maintaining this fellowship of the gospel. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and that there's this kind of distinction um, between, you know, you get the distinction between a Alexander, the coppersmith who did me great harm the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So, you know, Alexander, you know, he's kind of asking God to smack Alexander down for for what he's done. Um, And, um, you know, we don't know exactly what he did, but a lot of people um, maybe think Alexander's the one who um, accused Paul. Um, In a legal sense, uh, the word, like if we were to find that word for harm in a legal document, it would mean informer um, or the person who's the accuser in a court case, you know, the person who's seeking to do you harm in court. So it, you know, in a legal connotation, the word has that kind of accusatory, like he's the one who you know, gave evidence against you. So Alexander is the one who brought Paul to the authorities and basically you know, instigated the sudden arrest. Um, and he, he, you know, he wants the Lord to repay him uh, according to this betrayal. These other people who deserted him, you know, you know, um, may it not be charged against them, you know. And it's, it's. There's a lot of parallels to you know, sort of think of Christ and his disciples, like you know, Judas, uh, you know, turned him in. He was the betrayer, and and. You know, so there's a certain degree of condemnation that falls upon Judas for that act of betrayal. the other apostles you know Peter's denial you know we talked about this earlier you know um, you know how's peter's denial um, you know it, he's doing it out of fear he's doing it to save his own neck, and the other disciples are doing that and so he's you know it's he's not commending that action but you know it's it's wrong they shouldn't have done this but you know it, it's a, there's a forgivable offense like you know they were passive at a moment they should have been active whereas alexander was an active opponent of the gospel um so i think yeah with that there's this you know the contrast between what timothy's supposed to be you know he's not to do, be a betrayer Norsey to be someone who just kind of sits on their hands when they can do something. Again, you know, we can think of lots of situations like, you know, um, uh, I was doing, or I guess read a book recently on Nazi Germany, um, and it was kind of focusing on culpability, and like you have the strident Nazis, um, but then you got to have people that chose to do nothing out of fear of the Nazis, like, so they weren't, necessarily supportive, but by not doing anything, you know, they kind of, um, you know, um, what would you say? You know, like, you know, they help facilitate the growth and success of Nazism by, you know, not doing anything. Um, but that's a different kind of set of culpability than the people who are actually, you know, doing the evil deeds. And I think we can kind of see that kind of distinction here as he talks about these various people. Um, it you know uh, since his name shows up at the beginning and end of the book, most people assume it's the same Alexander. Um, so um, yeah, um, it, that's usually the explanation people give. yeah um you know he's <laughs> I mean it, he seems to have been an insider uh you know, so he's not just an external opponent to the church, he seems to be part of the Christian community yeah, so he's somebody who's an insider um, who has been excommunicated like you know he's done something that's he's been excommunicated you know removed from fellowship. But he's still causing trouble. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, we could go on lots of tangents where people who were excommunicated from a church continue to trouble that church's existence for long after the period they were excommunicated. Like, you know, he's still a thorn. Like, they've stepped away from him because of what he's done, but he's still trying to inflict harm and, you know, maybe exercise some kind of leadership. You know to try to bring people well, that Paul, he's wrong, you know he shouldn't have excommunicated. you need to come over to my side, so you know, even though yeah um just because a person's excommunicated doesn't mean they've you know they're completely out of the picture <laughs> they're they're not a welcome member of the fellowship, but they might still you know they might see their excommunication as being a wrongful act, and so they're still. Yeah, yeah. He he's he's gone from bad to worse. Um, that, just to end on as we come to the end. The one final help um, that we haven't mentioned yet, um, uh, but you know, again, you know, as we think about, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So he has things he he needs to do his gospel ministry, but even if he doesn't have those things, God is still at work, you know, and, and, and it's God who um, strengthens me. Um, the, the word there, um, one person translated it as God poured power into me. So again, that, you know, as we think about um, what a gospel minister needs, um, most of all, a, a gospel ministry needs the strengthening of the Lord so that through uh, him the gospel can be faithfully proclaimed um, it 's the Lord will rescue me um, from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom um, and this reference to to Daniel um, wait, I thought I printed it out um, oh here it is um, even though he he's ruffling, you know, he gives the lion's mouth, um, you know, this, this kind of the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. We've already sort of said Paul doesn't expect to be freed from this imprisonment. You know, he expects that his departure is near. Um, if you think back to um, another uh, episode in Daniel with the fiery furnace, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. So the Lord is able to deliver us. If he doesn't choose to deliver us, we're still going to follow him. And, and, And there's that kind of theme here you know, the, the God has sustained him, God has strengthened him, God has empowered him in this imprisonment, and God is able to deliver him even from this seemingly hopeful imprisonment, but, you know, he's awaiting, he knows that God's going to deliver him ultimately safely into his heavenly kingdom, like, you know, that is the unassailable deliverance that's been accomplished for Paul, and again, for, for all believers, you know, that, you know, as we face Circumstance, difficult circumstances, you know, our hope isn't on the end of the, you know, whatever particular set of circumstances, our hope is on, uh, in our ultimate deliverance, this ultimate refuge safely into his heavenly kingdom. You know, that harbor is what gives us hope in the midst of enduring difficulties now. All right, well, thank you all for a great semester of studying the pastoral epistles. Um, And, uh, um, yeah, um, hopefully um, it's helped us to think about uh, the pastoral ministry um, as we go through this process of of choosing our next pastor. Uh, Let me close our study uh, this morning uh, in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we do thank you for your goodness to us that you do raise up uh, faithful shepherds uh, to lead your flock. Um, that even though we celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church and the good shepherd, that um, in your wisdom uh, and your kindness and care, you raise up um, shepherds to, to pastor your flock, um, to uh, feed us by your word, uh, to care for us and protect us from dangers, um, uh, people who seek to devour our souls, uh, who... Um, seek to keep us on the path, uh, to keep us in the race, to keep us from falling away um, out of weariness or out of fear or out of um, uh, disobedience, but uh, seeks to shepherd us, uh, not for the glorification of himself, but for the glorification of you. Um, And we pray uh, even now that you would be raising up someone for us um, to uh, shepherd us uh, in the coming years, um, to help us uh, proclaim faithfully your gospel uh, here in uh, Massachusetts, um, that equip us to proclaim your good news, um, to help us to endure uh, um, as faithful believers in an increasingly hostile culture. Um, we ask that by your spirit you would uh, equip us and strengthen us and help us uh, to keep the faith, to fight the fight, uh, to finish the race, uh, to endure uh, as we anxiously await your appearing, um, and even as we put our hope in our righteous judge, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.